Hi, folks. It's great to have you with us. Uh, I actually uh, was not meant to be on uh, today. It was meant to be Jono, but Jono's in lockdown. So no one is allowed to go near Jono ever. I don't think it's for that long, but um, here I am. The good news is, though, I get to look uh, this was a story that Jono was going to look at today, but I get to look at the amazing story in 1 Samuel 17 of David and Goliath, one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. And uh, it is well-known for very good reason. It's an amazing story, and we're going to reflect on this. One of the things, and, and I'm going to take the opportunity uh, to do this tonight, in fact, I invariably do try to do this, is when I look at a passage is to actually not only teach and, and impart something from that passage, but also to model actually how to read the Bible for yourself. And um, and I want to do that again tonight. I want to point out some really important principles for actually interpreting the Bible. And the reason this is important, and because there's a very close link between interpreting the Bible and interpreting life, if you get, if you become proficient at interpreting the Bible, uh, it actually matches a level of proficiency in interpreting life. Um, the same principles for interpreting the Bible uh, apply to interpreting life to some degree. So I think these principles uh, are really, really important. One of those principles, of course, is that any story that you look at, uh, you always look at in the light of the bigger story. Of course, that's how we need to understand every circumstance in our lives. We are part of a bigger story. That, by the way, is why we even are interested in looking at these stories, why we should be interested in looking at these stories in the Bible, because this is our story. We are part of this story. We are the heirs of this story. We are continuing the story. And so it's really important to understand where we've been, because that helps us to understand where we're going and what God has done and said in the past lays the foundation uh, for what God is going to do and say in the future. So, as I said, it's so important that we look at every story. And often, you know, of course, this story is so well, probably so well known uh, to, to many people. Uh, there was recently actually a book written by Malcolm Gladwell, who's just a secular journalist, uh, on David and Goliath. And uh, he looks at this story and, um, uh, and I don't necessarily agree with everything that he says in this story. And, and some of the things that I'm going to say are subtly corrective of that, just in case you read that book, which you probably haven't. So I need not have said that. But one of the things that Gladwell says is this, well, this isn't really an this isn't really an underdog story. You know, David, you know, was so good at the sling that he might as well have had a, you know, handgun and, uh, and Goliath was just a, um, a really uncoordinated, you know, half blind, weak, giant guy with some growth, uh, deformity. Um, well, you know, some of that, there, there may be elements in, of truth in some of that, but, um, we should allow nothing to take away what actually is really remarkable about this story. It really is remarkable, and it's put forward to us as something really remarkable. But it's not primarily a story about something that David did. It's primarily a story about something God did. And it belongs within the context of a story of what God is doing, what God has said, 
and what God is doing. And that sequence, remember that sequence of God speaking and then God doing is just so significant in Scripture. When we look at any part of the Bible, we need to allow the things that we read to, tr to trigger those memories of what God has already said about this. This is a good principle of interpretation for your life. Allow things in your circumstance to trigger the question, now what has God said about this sort of thing before? That Actually, if you get that principle of biblical interpretation down, you are going to be a really good Bible interpreter and you're actually also going to be a really good life interpreter. So talking about big picture, uh, of course, the story of the Bible uh, after a prologue begins with Abraham and God makes this promise to Abraham that I'm going to give you this land. That's why it's, it's called the promised land. And a lot of the a lot of what happens in the Bible is really the unfolding, God fulfilling and showing himself faithful to that promise to Abraham that I'm going to, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you and through you, I'm going to bless others. And uh, whoever blesses you will be blessed, but whoever curses you will be cursed. And, and we see, you know, and all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And so, um, so much of what we then read in the Bible is the fulfillment of that uh, of that promise uh, to Abraham. Anyway, finally, and this is to cut a long story really short, God brings his people uh, into the land and he does that under Joshua. I think it's important to note though that the land, uh, even though Joshua was faithful, he left it to the people to complete the conquest, but they never really did. Uh, the story of the conquest is a story of incompleteness because after Joshua dies, the people never quite complete that. And it was always God, God's plan to set a king over them. And one of the key jobs of the king would be to complete the conquest. That is, let me put that another way. It is to lead the people of God into the fullness of what God wanted to give them and not stop short of that because there'd been so much compromise along the way. They kept stopping short of what God wanted to give them. And it was the role of the king to lead them into the fullness of that. And of course, first, I, I've spoken a bit about the false start that we see with King Saul. That was the people's choice. And King Saul's reign is uh, characterized by compromise. Saul also is one who compromise. Uh, but then we have David. David is uh, anointed in the place of Saul. And we have this constant comparison in the text. You know, often when God wants to show us what the, what the right thing is, it's often against the backdrop of the wrong thing. So that by contrast, we see very clearly what the right way to go is. And so we have this constant comparison from uh, throughout the first book of Samuel that tells the story of David, Saul and then David. We have this constant comparison between Saul and David. And you'll see that uh, today in the story that we're going to look at. Um, so just before the story, I think there's a very important little section. I looked at this last week. There's this story about King, you know, King Saul, of course, is the, is the powerful uh, warrior king. David is characterized as the worshiper of God, Saul as the powerful warrior king. But we have this story just right at the end of 1 Samuel 16 about how Saul is tormented by an evil spirit. 
And the story shows that against the real, you know, the real forces of evil, Saul is absolutely powerless. This man of war, powerful in the things of the world, is nevertheless powerless against the forces of evil. And because Saul is tormented by this evil spirit, they find David. They've heard of his musical skill. And David is a wonderful worshipper of God, wrote so many of the Psalms. They bring David in. David plays his instrument and sings his songs. And he vanquishes, vanquishes the evil spirit with his worship. And that leads us right into the story that we have in one Samuel chapter 17. And I'm going to read that. So I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm not going to read absolutely all of this and I'll, I'll read it for yourself, but I'm just going to take the major sections of this story. First Samuel chapter 17. Now, the, by, by the way, I, um, a year and a half ago, I was actually in Israel, in the Valley of Elah, and we, we were, I had a group of people, and we were standing in the stream with all the stones, and, and, uh, and I actually, I read this story. We read this story actually in the, in situ, and it was such a great, such a great, uh, thing to do, and it always reminds me of that when I, uh, when I read this. Um, so if you want to come to Israel sometime, whenever we can travel again, it will, we'll be doing it, so. Come along. It's my little advertisement. Now, the Philistines, verse 1, the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. Verse 2, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with a valley in between them. It's a big, wide valley, and there's a stream going through it, and it goes up on both uh, on both sides. A champion, verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. It's about three metres. And he had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. In fact, the Philistines were amongst the first to actually even move into the Iron Age. This is a period where we're moving from the Bronze Age to the Iron Age, and iron was a very significant uh, piece of new technology. Um, and it was unknown in, in the land of Canaan in, in Israel at this time, but the Philistines were onto it, and it made a really big difference with weaponry. Okay, So this is a significantly advanced army with advanced weaponry compared to Israel. Verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, 
This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. They were dismayed and terrified because they missed something in that situation. They were dismayed and terrified because they were too busy looking at Goliath and listening to Goliath and not listening to what God was saying, not listening to what God had already said about situations like that. You see, the trigger point in that situation that they should have remembered and the trigger point that we need to remember as we read this text, think about it. When did you last, for those who are readers of the Bible, let me ask you this question. When did we last hear about something about giants in the land? Does that ring a bell? Giants in the land being terrified? Sounds like, I mean, don't all answer at once. Sounds like Numbers 13. You're all going to say that, of course. Numbers chapter 13, when the spies went into the land and they said, yep, the, that, the, the promised land is every bit as good as God promised it would be. There were 12 spies, 10 of them said, but there is no way, there is no way that we can take that land. There are these giant people in the land, giant warriors. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes in comparison with them. And so they trembled in fear, just like Saul and the army were trembling in fear. This is a Numbers 13 situation all over again. And they should have picked that up. They should have remembered. No, we are able. They should have tuned into what God had said about that situation. But they didn't. They were too busy being freaked out by Goliath and by what he was saying, which is, by the way, defying the armies of Israel calling down curses on Israel. That should have reminded them. Genesis 12, verse 3, whoever curses you, I will curse. These are trigger points. But instead, they were just triggered to terror and paralysis. Well, here we are, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Verse 20, by the way, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip forward here. So this goes on for 40 days. That's a long time for an army to be in the field doing nothing. There would have been a drain on resource. And the longer it went on, I mean, Goliath's coming out for 40 days saying this kind of things. And the paralysis would have just set in. Anyway, David's brothers are in the army. David isn't, presumably because he's too young and probably too small. But his father, Jesse, sends him out with some things to deliver to his brothers. And I'll pick it up from 
1 Samuel 17, verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. You notice how it keeps repeating that, to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him and he will also give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. So David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Notice the emphasis there, and removes this disgrace. This is disgraceful, David thinks. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. You know, and, and by referring to him as this uncircumcised Phil, Philistine, you know, circumcision, which was the sign of the covenant. This guy sits outside God's purpose. You're listening to him? So David asks around and his interest in the matter gets reported to Saul who sends for him thinking, oh, well, maybe there is some great warrior in the army, you know, because they've been saying there's this guy, David, and he's talking about this. So he sends for him. And I think, you know, Saul would have been uh, shocked when this little kid walks through the door. And as David walks through the tent, well, the door was a tent. Uh, as he walks through, it says, verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart. On account of this Philistine, your servant will go and fight him. Let no one lose heart. Remember, this is David about whom it has been said, he is a man after my own heart. Let no one lose heart. I'll go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able. You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. In other words, it's really interesting statement. Um, actually, I'll just read the next verse, uh, verse 37, getting too excited here. Uh, verse 37, the Lord, he says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. You see, that, that, statement of David is a, it's a kind of indictment upon Saul. You see, Saul is the shepherd 
of the people of God who cannot deliver this people from the Philistines. And David has been faithful as a shepherd saying, well, it's basically the same deal. If God's going to help me deliver my father's sheep, how much more will God help me deliver his sheep, the people of Israel? And here we see David, the shepherd king. Here we see God's choice of a king. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. This is a very important gesture. See, what Saul is doing by giving him his armour, this is a great honour, basically what he is doing is that he is clothing David in these symbols of the king's power. These are symbols of this king's power. A king who, remember, is just like the kings of all the other nations, a man of war. But see, David's not used to that. So he says, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. You see, we need to notice here, David's, he's not going to step into another mode. He's just said before, you know, when I was tending my father's sheep and a lion or a bear came along, it's interesting that lions and bears were in the Middle East at that point. Uh, they're certainly not there today. But he said, you know, when a lion or bear came along, I mean, God enabled me to deliver my, my father's sheep. How much more will God enable me to deliver my heavenly father's sheep? So he's not switching modes. This isn't a switch into another mode. He already has a rhythm of a life of faith. And this is just another step. I mean, this looks remarkable to us, what's going to happen here. But actually, for David, this has already been a habit of life. I'm not going to go in this. I don't, I'm not used to this armour. No, David's used to a different kind of armour. Verse, uh, verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, he chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Why do you think he took five stones? I don't think David expected actually to hit the first time. <laughs> There's a lot of talk about, you know, David was like this amazing slingsman. And, and, and look, he probably was pretty good with it. And these rocks could have been as big as tennis balls, probably were around the size of tennis balls. But David gets five stones because, you know, he doesn't, he's, he's not totally confident that he's going to hit the first time. So, verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept moving closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome 
And he despised me. You know, he's not a rugged kind of man of war. He's a bit of a pretty boy. He's just a kid, you know. And he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? He's absolutely insulted by this. Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine, trigger point, the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine cursed David by his God. Whoever curses you, I will curse. The Philistine cursed David by his God. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, this is like my favourite, one of my favourite speeches in the Bible. I mean, Jesus did lots of speeches better, but, you know. But this is just up there, this one. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Why was David so confident? He will give all of you into our hands because he had said to Joshua, God had made a promise before that David, having had a godly upbringing, would have known about God said to Joshua, I will give you every place where you set your feet. I am giving you this land. I'm giving it into your hands. David says, the Lord is, see, he's not listening to Goliath. He's not looking at Goliath's eyes. He's listening to what God is saying about this situation. I am giving you every place that you set your feet. No one, God said to Joshua, in Joshua 1.5, no one will be able to stand against you. So, reading on in verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Philistine, you know, the, the Philistine Goliath is edging closer. David runs to meet him because I will give you every place where you set your feet. I will give you every place where you set your feet. David runs into the battle, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and he struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down onto the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and he killed him. But this is not primarily a story about how a weak kid 
killed a strong man. This is a story about how a powerful God destroyed what in comparison was a very weak man. This is a story. This is a story of God's faithfulness to his promises. God said, I will give you this land. I will give you everywhere you set your foot. No one will be able to stand against you. And David was strong and courageous, like God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Am I not commanding you to go in and take the land? That's what God said to Joshua. Therefore, be strong and courageous. David was strong and courageous because he listened to what God was saying about the situation. We get so distracted in situations, in situations that stress us and cause us anxiety and fear. We get so overwhelmed because we're listening to all, it's like we listen to every other voice than the voice of God. And we need to ask the same question as when we read the Bible, what has God already said about this kind of thing? We need to be listening to the voice of God. David was strong and courageous because he was connected with God's purpose, with God's word. It's a little bit like what Jesus said. In John 5 verse 19, Jesus says, Jesus gave them this answer, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. David was able to charge towards the Philistine because he recognised this is what God's doing. God is giving me every place I set my foot. God is giving us this land. That's the voice that he listened to. And so he was able to charge in there. I mean, we might think, man, this is remarkable. <laughs> this is, wow. I mean, and you know, if, if all we know is this story, it seems like, wow, this little kid, he goes out, what a remarkable sort of moment. Actually, this was David's normal, really. David already had a pattern of life. He already had a pattern of faith. He refers to that. When he refers to his sheep and he's keeping that, he already had a pattern of life. This wasn't some remarkable step up. This was another step of faith for David in a long series of steps of faith. This is why I've been emphasising the fact again and again and again that the life of faith is not about some sensational big leap that you've got to make. It's Small steps of obedience, long faithfulness, this, then this, and then this. And when you trust God with this, it prepares you for this. And when you trust God with this, it prepares you for this. And you become trained in the faith. It becomes a habit of life. And David walking into that battlefield was just another step of faith because that's how he lived his life. I remember someone telling me some time ago that they, ran, they, you know, they said, I, I said, what did you do on the weekend? They said, I ran a marathon. And I was, what, you, what, you ran? I, like, I didn't read that, didn't realize this person was that fit and, and healthy. And, and what I, what I did, I mean, to me, it seemed like just a remarkable achievement. What I didn't know was that they had been training hard for a year. 
They'd been running regularly throughout the year before. And that race was, well, it was just another run, really. So what seemed remarkable to me, you ran a marathon, was just another run for them. See, David had established a pattern of life up to this point. This was how he lived. This was his normal. It was a life of tuning into what God was saying. This is something you become accustomed to. And the more you become accustomed to this, the more clearly you can tune into the voice of God. You're tuning into what God has said. What, what has God said about this? So you can hear what God is saying about this circumstance. This is, that's, this is actually, this is the thing that you need in whatever circumstance you're in right now. What you most need right now is to hear the voice of God, what God is saying about that circumstance. Stop freaking out. Stop panicking. Sometimes we tune into every other voice. So many voices that we can tune into. No, no. What is God asking of me? And invariably what God is asking of you is just one more step forward further from the last step that he asked you to take. It's not out of reach. It's just one more step of faith. Walking beside God. And because David was walking in God's purpose, he was able to go out onto that battlefield and say, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. So I'm here representing God. It wasn't all about David. It's the same reason that Peter could say in Acts 3 verse 6 to the to the lame man at the gate of the temple, silver and, who was begging, and he says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. You see, they were representing, we're here representing Jesus. That's not just something for remarkable moments. That's something that you do all the time. It's not something that you step in and out of. It's something that you live all the time. I represent Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we live our lives. There is a pathway ahead for us into the fullness of what God wants to give us. And it's not a matter of big sensational events or big sensational experience. I mean, from the outside, they may look like that. But to us, it's a long, consistent series of steps of faith that will get us to remarkable places. And re remarkable things will happen. But that will become the new normal for you and for me and for us. Talk about contrasts. Let there be a contrast to the way that we live life, a life of faith all the time, so that when it matters, we'll be ready.
Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord God, for your promises. Your promises that are given to us in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for all that you have done to us. We thank you for all that you have said and promised. And now, Father, we ask you to lead us into the fullness of what you have promised. Help us, Lord, to be faithful, a faithful people, persevering in faith. And I pray that you would show each one of us, all of those listening to my voice right now, Father, would you show us clearly what you are asking of us in this situation? Father, what are you asking of me? What are you asking of us? And each person here listening to me now, what are you asking? Father, I pray that you would make that clear, that we would be obedient children given to your purpose, acting in your name for your glory. Amen.